What's going on, boxing fans around the world? It is Saturday, September 26th, and welcome to another episode of For All the Belts, the boxing podcast that will keep you updated. I am your host, Jacob Ibarra. Listen, everybody, it's it's one of the best days ever of 2020, because as a fight fan, you live for these kind of days. You live for good fights that are basically happening all day today you have one of the best champions in the in the junior welterweight division defending his titles you have a world boxing super series finals between two really good punchers you have the double pay-per-view that's going to be fireworks and to end tonight you still have two ufc title fights that guarantee good action okay i probably shouldn't say guarantee good action because look what happened last saturday but that's not my fault entirely so everyone fighting tonight is an exciting fighter i don't even know where to begin but i have to begin somewhere so since there's a lot of good fights tonight i probably i'm probably gonna rank them i'll I'll go over all of them the significant ones, and probably go from the like least significant to most significant. I mean, that's not saying that the least significant are bad fights. Actually, I'll, I'll start from cards, but it's not saying that these are bad cards or this is a bad fight. It's just you have to rank them, I guess, by action, importance, and hey, not every, not everybody's going to be at the top of the pyramid. <laughs> Some, you got to start somewhere, so to the first fight to start off the episode of the, of the breakdown, one of my favorite champions in boxing today, and hopefully we get that super fight in the future, Josh Taylor, the unified WBA and IBF junior welterweight champion, is making his mandatory IBF title defense tonight in his, in actually not in his home country, but in the UK against the number one contender according to the IBF from Thailand, Apinon Kongsong. And I hope I said that correctly. I I'll be honest. I don't know this mandatory. I don't. I looked him up and he's number one at 140. In Thailand, so he's pretty good. He's undefeated. Also, actually has the same record as Josh Taylor, both 16-0. He he actually has one more knockout than Josh Taylor with 13 knockouts. So he's a good puncher. And I I didn't look that far into him, but I wouldn't surprise me if Kong Song was a Muay Thai fighter before becoming a pro boxer. Because that turns out to be the case from a lot of Muay Thai boxers. Uh, Muay Thai. Thai boxers. Uh, really, all I can say is this is, a, this is a good fight for Josh Taylor to, to get back in the ring and get some rounds in after his fight of the year type of fight last year against Regis Progre. Josh Taylor hasn't had a fight since the Progre fight and becoming unified champion. So... We don't know where 
he's at, especially since in that fight he suffered a bad cut over his right eye, I believe. He had, he's training with uh, Ben Davison, which is a, a change he made after signing with top rank. And it's still a dangerous fight because Kong Song is a puncher, still has the puncher's chance. And if, from what I've seen from other Thai boxers, they're good at finding their power punches. They're really good at placing them in the center, especially. They, they don't they don't throw straight punches, but they'll throw like short hooks that kind of look like straight punches. And if they were if they were strong punchers as Muay Thai fighters, they're gonna be strong punchers as boxers. But again, I don't know if Kong Song was a Muay Thai fighter before becoming a pro boxer, or at least dedicating time to to boxing. So, but that wouldn't surprise me. Since that tends to be the case a lot. Look at, look at uh, the man who knocked out Chocolatito, Sriskoret Sorongvisai. A really good Muay Thai fighter who turned out to be an even better boxer. And that's a lot of the cases too with the smaller weight classes when they have Thai boxers. But really, Josh Taylor just needs to do what he does best. Beat up his opponent. So, I'm, it's, I'm not going out on a limb here, but... I feel comfortable saying Josh Taylor should get the victory tonight. Why? Because he is just that good of a boxer and that good of a fighter. If history has shown me anything, he's going to get on the inside, beat up Kong Song to the body, just rip those left hooks and right, ho- right hooks especially to the body. He's going to measure, measure Kong Song with this distance, with that jab, Rip the straight left, then right hook to the body, right hook up top. Probably parry those. If Kong Sung puts up the high guard, he'll probably sneak in a right hook upstairs. But really, Josh Taylor's going to beat up that body. He'll, for a guy who's a tall fighter and a long fighter, it's kind of it's very interesting to see that he likes to crouch down, get on the inside, basically put his forehead in your chest, and rip away at that body. So... I feel comfortable saying Josh Taylor should win this fight and probably get a stoppage in the 8th or ninth round. And hopefully he just gets the job done, does what he needs to do tonight, because I want to see that super fight. I want to see that unification fight. Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez. This is exactly why he got signed to top rank. Because they want to make that fight. And since Jose Ramirez wasn't part of the World Boxing Super Series with all the other good fighters in the same division... And it'll be good to find out who's actually the best 140 in the world. Is it Josh Taylor who won the whole thing? Or is it Jose Ramirez who beat the man who won the whole thing? If we get that fight in 2021. That is going to be besides Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, and besides Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence. That's the best unification fight we can get. We need to see that. And so Josh Taylor, man, do your part tonight. Don't play around. Don't get all... Don't get all creative and think just handle your business get the rounds in get some of that rust off maybe maybe see work on a couple things that you worked on with your new trainer ben davison but don't play around just just keep it simple and win the fight that way we can just get this unification but i'm excited because josh taylor likes likes to fight so it, it won't i think it won't be a boring fight but, I mean, we saw it happen last week. 
So Josh Taylor, I say he should win by the ninth, the latest, because he has this, in my opinion. I have, like I said, I haven't seen Kong Sung, but as what I've seen so far, Josh Taylor is usually the superior boxer. He even went on the inside, and people make the mistake of trying to throw hooks or overhands up top. But since he crouches down, he can really slip under those punches really easily. So I don't see that changing. He'll slip under some hooks and keep digging to the body. He's even countering hooks. He has a really nice left uppercut. So Josh Taylor should get it done tonight and keep his titles. So that is probably the of the of all the box the major boxing cards today. That's the least significant, but that doesn't make the fight any less significant. Because you never know. If the Kong Song wins, that's upset of the year. Hands down, that is upset of the year. Alright, moving on to the next card that's happening today and happening in Germany and probably the most even matchup of the big title fights that are happening tonight but the most under the radar fight and that is the World Boxing Super Series finals of the cruiserweight division the 200 pound division two men that made the semifinals last last time in the World Boxing Super Series, but now they're ma- they made it to the finals. That's right. Junior Dorticos versus Mairis Brieris. And again, I hope they said their names correctly. On paper, this should be a pretty even, really good fight. But if I, you know, got to do your research. I got, had, got the chance... I had the chance to see these two two fighters already and seen some of their history and I wouldn't be surprised if this fight goes the distance even though they're both pretty good punchers especially Dorticos very very good puncher but I wouldn't be surprised if it's uh if there's a lot of clinching and if it's a uh, hard fought and kind of not pretty to watch decision so let me explain Mairis Brieris, good fighter, pretty good boxing skills from, from Brieris, but he is a frustrating and smothering fighter. He does have a pretty good jab, and he, Brieris likes to come in with a straight, straight right down the middle, but when doing that, he'll smother his opponent, so he'll get on the inside really quickly, try to unload a left hook, to the body or a left hook up top, but in, when he does that, he doesn't give you any breathing room. So, at the risk of smothering his own punches, he'll make sure you don't throw any punches or you don't even you don't even get to get off any good punches. So, in that case, as he's getting off on some of his punches that maybe don't look as hard or as they don't look like they hurt that much, they hurt because he put all his power in that straight right and moving forward. That when he's coming with his left hook, he's that's pretty much his power punch to the body. So he putting he puts all his weight behind his punches only to smother you. That way you can't really do anything except clinch. And for the most part, it's effective. You he's getting off his punches while you're not throwing any punches. 
that's a pretty frustrating fighter. And as you're trying to prepare for that, because he, because he keeps doing that, you'll shell up, or his opponents will shell up, and just as you think he's going to smother you again and clinch you, he'll create a little more distance, and with his jab hand, as you're shelling up, putting your, your arms up, and trying to cover up, which is, he does a technique that a lot of Eastern European fighters do, which is really effective and kind kind of sneaky but i wish that uh, other good boxers like from other parts of the world would do because it's a really effective technique so what brietis would do is he'll with his jab hand he'll he'll basically entangle his arm with yours to pull down the to pull down his opponent's arm and sneak in a short right hook so he's coming Basically, he's pulling your arms down. Pulling, since there's no openings for him to get off of any good punches, he'll create his own openings. Pull down your arm or pull your arm away from your face. And with that brief opening, boom, sneak in a, a good power punch. I've seen other good fighters do it, like Alexander Usyk, um, Alexan- Alexander Vochik, and Vasily Lomachenko. And ironically, they're all... They're all from Team Ukraine back in 2012 for the Olympics. But like I said, it, I've seen more Europeans and Eastern European fighters do this than any other fighters. So I wouldn't be surprised if he does that a lot, especially smothering dor- Dorticos. So, and like I said, he's really good at it. He's really good at frustrating you. So And he's, he's made a lot of his fights sloppy. He actually... Got a lot of rounds against Alexander Usyk last year. Was it last year? I think it was 2018, actually. So about two years ago when he fought Alexander Usyk. The reason why he made it such a close fight is because Usyk, a guy who knows how to use his footwork and use a lot of movement and depends on a lot of distance, Brietis was able to close in the distance and just make Usyk shell up. And those rounds that Brietis won is because he made Usyk not throw effective punches. So, I wouldn't be surprised if Brietis wins this fight. Now, Dorticos. How does the Cuban win this fight? Pretty much, don't let Brietis get on the inside. Keep him at, at your distance. Use that jab. Use your power with your jab to keep him at distance. Don't let him get in and unload that right hand. Whether it be a right hook to the body or whether it be a straight right. You cannot let Brietis get inside. And if Dorticos does let Brietis get on the inside and just make it like an inside fight, a kind of a dirty fight or just a frustrating fight, Dorticos will not win this fight. He is a guy who needs the distance. Because he does in the last two times he's fought a pressure fighter, he's not looked very well. That being against Morat Gassiev, who knocked out Dorticos in the 12th round, I believe. And that was also a really good fight. I, that was my candidate for fight of the year of 2018, I believe. And the, the first half of the fight, in that fight, Dorticos unloading his, his punches beautifully. Keeping, keeping the jab, keeping Gassiev at, at, at the end of his jab. Unloading the straight right or unloading the hooks of the body at the distance that Dorticos wants. But as soon as Gassiev just didn't respect 
Dortico's power or just took away his jab and made it an inside brawl, Dortico's looked very, very uncomfortable. Like he he needed that distance in order to to win rounds. And the moment he let Gassiev get on the inside, he he didn't seem it's like he didn't know how to create that distance anymore. Like the only way he would be able to create that distance is if the referee had to break them in a clinch or if just desperately trying to get out of a corner or off the ropes into another part of the ring. So he's not very good off the back foot. And then again, it happened with Andrew Tabidi just, was it this year? No, last year in the semifinals of the World Boxing Super Series. And Tabidi's a good fighter, but he doesn't command that respect like Agassiev or Brietis because he doesn't have the same power like as some of these fighters like Dorticos or Brietis or, or Agassiev. So as much as Tabidi tried to make it a smothering fight, he just couldn't hurt Dorticos or get that respect from Dorticos to be effective with, with the inside fighting. But again, like the, the rounds that Tabidi was winning against Dorticos, he just make it a make it an ugly fight. Don't let Dorticos use his superior boxing and have that distance to, to generate his good power. Because if you let him, oh man, Dorticos, he'll unload on you and he will put you to sleep. Yeah, he, he can punch like that. He, he has fight-changing power, but he needs his distance. So for this fight, I say Brietis takes a unanimous or a majority decision. I'll, I'll say he, my prediction would be Brietis wins this nine rounds to three, eight rounds to four. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a late stoppage, like in the 11th round. I want Dortigos to win. And, you know, I, he's probably the most exciting Cuban fighter I've seen in a long time, Dortigos. He, he's, not, he's not like a Guillermo Regondia or Eres Landilara that is a boxer first. Now, he, he's, he's a puncher, so... He he prefers the offense over the defense any day. And you don't you don't see very exciting Cuban fighters every day. So let's go Dorticos. So now that I have gotten Josh Taylor and the World Boxing Super Series out of the way, let's get on to man, probably the best card of 2020. That's right. The Charlo double header. So since it's split into two, I'll basically split it into two. So the first fight, which would be for the Jamal Charlo, Sergei Derevyanchenko part of the pay-per-view, the opening fight for that part would be WBO champion for the Bantamweights. Yes, the Bantamweights. John Riel Casimero is fighting, uh, what's his name? Duke Micah. There we go. Sorry. Sorry I had a little brain fart. So, Casimero's making a WBO title defense against Duke Micah. And honestly, I don't know much about Duke Micah either. But when watching the video that inspired this episode by the YouTuber Office Honcho Boxing, which you guys, if you guys are boxing fans, check out his videos because Office Honcho is one of the best YouTubers out there to make boxing content. He will educate you, especially on divisions that you don't know about, like this one. 
So this has been a tough year for Casimero. And it's not his fault. It's nobody's fault. Because after coming off the biggest win of his career to win the WBO title against a really, really good champion like Zolani Tete, Casimero was supposed to fight Naoya Inoue in April in Vegas. So he he was supposed to, he went from fighting a top two champion of the division to getting a fight with probably pound for pound number one in the world in Inoue, depending on you know who who's making these pound for pound rankings. To now he's fighting a good fighter but unknown in Duke Micah. So this is kind of a letdown for a lot of fighters, and this is this is where you know some fighters make mistakes of just overlooking or not being motivated. Because they just they were supposed to have the biggest fights of their career. Now they went from the big name to the no name. So th- this is these those are those sleeper fights that were, upsets happen. But I don't think I I personally don't think Casimero would let that happen. But history has told us otherwise, and it should be a fun fight. I like I like Casimero. He's an exciting fighter, but. If if Micah can capitalize on the one f- flaw I believe Casimero has, he could get a good knockout or a good finish. Okay, so in in watching Casimero's style, he reminds me a lot of former champion Carlos Cuadras. And even a little bit to a degree, even though they don't have the same style, a little bit to a degree of his um, uh, fellow countryman Manny Pacquiao. What Casimero does really well because he is a smaller fighter in his division. He has to use his legs a lot. So what do I mean, what do I mean by that? He is explosive. He doesn't have the reach ever in his in his fights. So in order to get on the inside and fight at a distance that he wants to fight at, he has to use his legs. He has to explode, get from point A to point B to get on the inside. Similar to to Manny Pacquiao for most of his career and similar but in this case because of his style it reminds me a lot more of Carlos Cuadras who was also very good at doing that now Casimero is also pretty athletic so since he also has quick hands he'll fight with his hands a little lower explode to get on the inside at his punching range and unload some quick hands to the body and maybe he'll try to sneak in a quick hook upstairs Again, if he's if he's the more athletic fighter of the two, it's very effective. If he's fighting another, if he's fighting a fighter with uh, who also has quick hands, it, you just really what you have to do is time Casimero when he's coming in, especially since he has his chin up, has his jab hand pretty low. I mean, he'll keep his he'll keep his right hand up to to protect himself from from some counter hooks, but he still has the jab hand pretty low. And since I don't know Duke Micah very well, except that looking at his record, that he's a very good puncher. Like especially well, according to the opponents he's fought, he's a very good puncher. We don't know at the elite level yet. If Duke Micah has a good right hand, really what he needs to do is just slip the jab or counter a lazy jab and throw an overhand right at, an overhand right to see if Casimero can take uh, Micah's power. I, like I said, I don't know much about Duke Micah except 
he's from Ghana and he's one of the, he's one of the best fighters coming out of Ghana. And but what I do know is that some of these fighters that come out of Ghana and they are some good punchers. They're guys that you should not sleep on. Guys that you should not overlook because they will be the guys they will be the guys to put you away. So if Micah is the puncher that his record says he is, Casimero better take him seriously and he probably better keep that jab hand up. Because, like I said, if Micah is the puncher that his record says he is, all he needs to do is just counter that jab because I think Casimero has his, has his jab hand way too low by having it at his hip. And he's, he should either bring that up or he should, he should be the one to counter Micah. So that but that is the fight to kick off the double the double header pay-per-view. The fight after the Casimero title fight is actually another title fight between Brandon Figueroa and Damian Vasquez. I like Brandon Figueroa. He is an exciting fighter. He is a ver- a good pressure fighter who likes to come forward a lot and just exchange and s- Show you that he's going to beat you up. He can take your punches. And he will put you away because he just has way more power. And that looks like it'll be the case tonight with Damian Vasquez. Now, I've seen a couple of highlights. Well, highlights of Vasquez from other fights. He seems to be like a guy who has pretty good movement. He likes to use ring generalship. He likes to use the ring more than Figueroa, that's for sure. I kind of just hope that Brandon Figueroa doesn't end up like his brother Omar Figueroa Jr. They have similar styles in the sense that they just plot forward, flat-footed, put their forehead in your chest and just see who can who can win the firefight, who can win that fight of just seeing who goes down first. Now Figueroa does do things better than his brother. Brandon does things better than his brother Omar. So he he uses his jab a little better. He seems to be a little quicker. He'll slip his head out of the out of the way a little bit for some counters. But this should be a firefight that Brandon's going to try to make. And I don't think Vasquez has the power to command that respect from Figueroa to stop him in his tracks. And Figueroa's defense is a little bit better than some people might think because. He'll stop the onslaught coming. Well, not necessarily the onslaught, but the ex- in the exchanges, he'll he'll stop the offense coming his way by tucking in the elbows and taking the punches on the elbow instead of the on the ribs. Or he'll make sure to keep the gloves up, and he, the gloves will get in the way of some of the the punches coming his way. So he knows how to block some punches. Some will get in because of his style. That's just the nature of his style. That, it's going to invite offense coming in. But it is his defense of just blocking punches is a little bit better than than his brother Omar. So he is a better defensive fighter. But he is going to try to make it a firefight. And he does, he does have better power than his brother. But then again, his brother, that's a different story. I expect Brandon Figueroa to get the finish probably within the 6th and 7th round. If not... It'll go. All, it'll probably go all twelve, and it'll probably be a shutout. And hopefully, after this, 
at super super bantamweight is that one 122 yeah i think that's 122 actually if, if he wins this fight looks impressive he might fight another fighter on this undercard yeah he, that would i'll get to that fight a little later but or actually yeah super bantamweight yeah he, he might be might be fighting another guy on this card in the future since they both have the same promoter. And that would be a really good fight. But I'll talk about that a little later. And so now we would reach the main event of the first half of the doubleheader. Jermal Charlo, Sergei Derevyanchenko. This hands down is the toughest fight Jermal's had in his career. And I hesitantly, but because he's still my guy, Lions only, I'll, I'll ride with Jamal and Jamel until the day I, until something tells me don't, and then it's time to get off the bandwagon. But I, I'm picking Jamal. I'm picking Jamal in a tough, competitive fight. I don't know if this is my heart or this is just if I should make this prediction or not, but Jamal by stoppage. Jamal by stoppage. If not, man, I'm thinking so heartbroken. So when you look when you look at them face off and the tail of the tape, Jamal's a taller fighter. He's the bigger fighter. I think he has maybe slightly better power than Derevyanchenko, even though Derevyanchenko's record says that he has better power. So, what, in my opinion, what Jamal needs to do to win this fight, establish that jab. Establish that jab. Keep Derevyanchenko on the back foot. Don't let, don't let him find a way to slip that jab. And command. Command some respect. Make it a thudding jab, like, like Deloya back in his day. Make... Make it a powerful jab. Don't let him think that you can he can find a way to slip it off a lazy jab. No, make you command some respect with your power. Um, disrupt his rhythm by throwing the double jab. Maybe jab upstairs, jab to the body. And if he can't find a way to slip it, man, just create because Jamal is really good at it compared to Jamel. Create some openings for for your power punches, because once he gets that jab going, you can expect some good straight rights, good left hooks to the body. And I think since Jamal is better at Jamal using his punch variety, he'll find ways to get his power punches going if he establishes his jab first. Now, if he doesn't, then that is very easy for a Derevyanchenko to do what he does best. Slip, get under the jab, get under those punches, step through. So he'll switch from his right-handed stance, step through by throwing a right hook to the body, turn southpaw, and throw left hooks to the body or left hooks upstairs. If he can get under the jab, if Derevyanchenko can get under the jab, he looks a little bit similar to Mike Tyson in the sense that stepping through with his hooks and then once he get if he gets on the inside and actually starts landing the body punches he's looking for he can do that Tyson combination where it's that hook to the body with 
and then with the same arm generate power to throw a nice uppercut up top. But, but what also Derevianchenko needs to do, he needs to be, start off quicker too, because in his last two fights against big names, he has not had he has not had the quick start that he should have. So when he fought Daniel Jacobs, he let Daniel Jacobs get off first, like let Daniel Jacobs land what he wanted to land, let him basically basically let Daniel Jacobs establish his game plan at first, which cost him the first few rounds and even a knockdown, and then. Almost the same thing happened with Triple G when Derevianchenko fought Triple G for the IBF title. Except he did get off he did get off his punches a little quicker, but by that time Triple G was already establishing that jab and landing the right hand over the top at will. So if Derevianchenko can make sure he starts quicker, I'm not saying he needs to take the first round by storm, but if he can get his offense going by round two or just Make sure that Jamal's not comfortable in the ring because of that constant pressure. Then he should be able to win this fight. That's how Derevianchenko should take will take over. Just make sure that Jamal never gets going. And like I said, for Jamal to win, establish that jab. You show him you have the quicker hands and you have more power than he does. More natural power in this in this sense because I think Derevianchenko has really good. He has he has quicker speed than people think with his hooks. So this should this should be a good fight, and it's it's really fifty fifty. But I think I think Jamal's in his prime, and even though he doesn't have a lot of fights as a professional, Derevianchenko's had a long amateur career. It's a lot of rounds as an amateur. It's a lot of rounds in the gym. That's he. I don't, I think he was, he's 34, 35, so who knows how many miles have been spent on that body already. Jamal, fresher fighter, he needs, should use, he should use his athleticism tonight, but also just, just make, just make sure that you don't let Derevianchenko find a way inside and rip it to, rip, rip into your body, because if not, I don't, I don't know if you're at that level of, this is what this will tell us if he's at the level of a Daniel Jacobs or a Triple G. And if he's not, then you're going to lose your title. So that is the first half of the Charlo doubleheader. Now the second half, which is basically the second card of the doubleheader, arguably might be more exciting to watch. But then again, that's the first the first half of this card is a high it's a high bar to live up to on paper. The first fight of the undercard for the second half of the Charlo doubleheader, which in my opinion might be the most exciting fight of the undercard, is LA's own Daniel Roman fighting Juan Carlos Payano. And I believe it is for a... It's either for a vacant title or it's for... It's an eliminator to be the number one contender for the WBC and the 122 pound division. So Danny Roman and Juan Carlos Payano is a very interesting fight because these are two different styles because because of their physiques. Danny Roman is short. <laughs> like he's really short. So to me, 
to make up for his lack of height and lack of reach, he has to fight on the inside. He has, and one thing that I actually do like about how he fights is he'll come in with the straight right or the or a very short hook. It all depends on just it all depends on how he throws it. Honestly, come in, but the way he enters with that right hand, he steps through. So when he's punching with his right hand, he'll go from a orthodox to a southpaw. So just so he can get, he can sneak that left hook into the body as a southpaw, or he'll sneak in a nice left uppercut to the body as a southpaw. And if he's beating up to the body, he'll keep doing that, straight hand, straight right, switching to a southpaw. But instead of attacking the body, bring it up top. Very. He's a very active fighter, so he, since he, I don't, it's kind of hard to tell if he has a lot of power or not, just because he doesn't have a lot of knockouts, but you can see the effect of his punches that he has on fighters. So it's, his knockout ratio to his wins is a little deceiving, but yeah, he he will beat up that body and he can just, yeah, he, he can switch his stances pretty easily, so that's a fighter who knows how to shift his power in his stances. It should be fun. He's always a fun fighter to watch, especially his last two fights. Been very, very top-notch in quality of, of action. So I don't expect Danny Roman to be in a boring fight against Bayano. But what I do find interesting is, like I said, he's a very short fighter, so he has to get on the inside a lot. And to get on the inside, he he might have to take a few punches, but he knows how to tuck in that chin and Keep his keep his head down. And Bayano is almost the exact opposite of the body type of Danny Roman. He's a tall, lengthy fighter whose best weapons are his one-twos. He, he has a quick jab and a quick double jab. And he knows how to throw a really good straight left down the middle. Now, I think Roman is a better puncher, but Bayano is a quicker puncher who has less power. So this is a very interesting short short punch short fighter who who has to get on the inside and throw a lot of punches to the body compared to the very tall fighter who knows how to use his length. Who's also in some pretty exciting fights. I mean, his last fight I know Payano's coming off of a TKO loss, but I mean he was doing really well in that fight, and I think that this is a, another 50-50 fight between him and Danny Roman. I know um, Payano's older. I think he's 37 years old. So, Well, this is a fight that's good to see where he stands, if he's still a top-five fighter in, a, in his division, or if maybe now is the time that's... Te- it's, or maybe now time is telling him that his best days are behind him. I... Ooh, this is a tough one. This really is a tough one. I'll probably go with Danny Roman winning tonight. He's a lot more active as a fighter. He knows how to dig into the body really well. He knows how to stay right in front of you and apply good pressure. And he's the younger fighter. Like I said, Payano's 37, so I wonder how long he can keep Danny Roman at distance with his jab. If he can keep... If he can keep Danny Roman frustrated and just keep him away for at least six rounds, he should be able to win this fight. 
If not, if by if by the second or third round, even even the latest, the fourth, if Danny Roman can get inside and make it a firefight, then this is going to be a Danny Roman fight. And I have him winning by probably a majority or unanimous decision. I could see him winning eight rounds to four, seven rounds to five if it goes all 12 and Danny Roman gets on the inside by at least round three. And now that... I've talked about that fight. Let's get to the co-main event of the Charlo doubleheader. It is the always exciting second best fighter in the world if he's in his division, if he's mentally focused, Luis Neri, taking on Aaron Alameda. I, I don't know much about Alameda. I just know he's an undefeated fighter who has okay punching power and pretty decent speed. But Luis Neri is a very good boxer with really good power and really, really good timing. So I I have to go with Neri in this fight because what he He'll probably have a cold first round, but once he get, once he figures out your timing, it's just a matter of time before he lands the overhand left and the right and the right hook. I mean, I'm not I'm not necessarily a huge fan of how Neddy punches, but he he's very effective with this style. I wish he threw straighter punches, but that overhand left, the counter overhand left and right hook to follow it up with, and it's really effective. So I see Nettie winning this by fifth round TKO. Really quick. He's really quick with his punches as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if the moment he hurts Alameda and Alameda tries to clinch up, that Nettie just unloads on him to the body, trying to make sure he doesn't get that clinch. And in that, when Alameda just can't clinch him and getting unloaded onto the body, he eats a nice uppercut or left hook upstairs and goes down and, yeah, he probably can't recover from that. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. And a win for Nettie. Hey, who knows? A win for Nettie. Is he in the same division? Yeah, he is in the same division. If Nettie gets the win and Brandon Figueroa gets the win, that would be a very fun fight to make. Two coming forward pressure fighters with a lot of with a lot of power. Sign me up for that fight if they win. They have the same promoter. And Neddy needs to prove himself that he's 100% focused to be on being a champion. So Neddy wins, and if he passes his drug test, Neddy versus Figueroa. I want that fight in 2021. Make it happen. Let's make it happen, people. And now we reach the main event of the Charlo doubleheader pay-per-view. Jermel Charlo versus Jason Rosario. And I think this fight is more 50-50 than Jamal's fight against Derevyanchenko. I say that because Rosario has, a, in my opinion, a better puncher's chance than Derevyanchenko has against Jamal. But Rosario, he's also, just like Jamal, a tall, lengthy fighter who has unorthodox type of punching. So he's not the boxer that Jamel is, but he's 
he's tricky enough to where the punches come from weird angles. That overhand right is going to come at an angle that you don't normally train to receive or train to block. And Rosario is a lot quicker than I than I remember. So when I look back at how he beat Julian Williams, his counters, like, he's not a good enough boxer to win rounds like Julian Williams or like Jamel. But he is really good at making those some very hard rounds to win because he's a catch-and-shoot fighter. You throw at him first, he'll take it, but or he'll roll with it and then throw one right back just as quick or quicker, but it will be a harder punch than the punch you threw. And that's exactly what happened with Julian Williams. Just catch and shoot, just sneak in a right hand, but it will hurt more. So he does have he does have fight changing power. Do I think he hurts Jermel? I don't know. I don't think he'll unless Jermel wants to fight right in front of him and like take power punch for power punch. I don't think he'll hurt Jermel. But like I said, Jermel should not take that chance of just trying to trade power punches. Who goes down first? No. Use the ring and use use your one twos and the one thing I wish Jamel would do more is create his own openings. So either use a double jab, use some more feints, or mix it up a little bit. Because as much as I love Jamel as well as Jamal, Jamal is better at creating openings for himself to land the punches he wants to land. I think what Jamel does that I think he needs to improve on is create his openings. I think especially what I saw in the Tony Harrison fight, he waits for the openings to come to him. And I think that hurts him sometimes in being inactive in the round or possibly even losing some rounds, especially with Tony Harrison. So Jermel should... And I, I know Jermel works really hard on working on certain combinations because the combinations he works with with Derek James for, for his training camps... You can see it translate into his fights. But I think now he needs to learn that those openings aren't always going to be there perfectly. So now you have to do your part into creating, even when the windows look so small, create those openings for yourself, whether it be whether it be throwing double jabs, fainting, or just setting up like some... Setting up not power punches per se, but throwing some throwing some t- certain type of combos to create the combos that he wants to land. That's what I wish. That's what I hope Jermel does in this fight. That he he makes Rosario cover up a little more, or he baits Rosario. That way, he throws the right hand or the left hook to the body that I know that Jamel wants to throw. I've seen it plenty of times to know to know how Jamel Charlo throws his combos. I I don't know I don't know what to I don't know what my prediction is yet for Jamel Rosario and Rosario so I'm gonna pick with my heart because like I said I'm Lions only I'm I'm all about H-Town when it comes to the Charlos. So I'll say Charlo unanimous decision. 
seven rounds to five, eight rounds to four. In that range. And hopefully he gets a knockdown in this. But I hope, I really hope it's a, a Jermel TKO. Yeah, I think that's... Uh, but my official prediction would be Jermel Charlo by unanimous decision. But a close unanimous decision. The first, the first half of the fight, those first six rounds, they will be competitive. But then I think seven from round seven and on... It'll be Jermel's fight. But that is a tough one just because seeing Rosario's punching technique. Yeah, he could he really could catch something that Jermel doesn't see. Or Jermel thinks he's out of the way of it, but he doesn't realize how long Rosario's long how long Rosario's limbs are. So yeah, that's a, it's a tough one, man. That'll be fun. This is this is gonna be a fun night of boxing. But don't think I'm done yet. Still got the UFC to talk about. I'll go that. I'll go over that a little quicker because, you know that as much as I love MMA, and you know, you know this, this, you know this is a boxing show. But let, but let's. It's still fun to talk about more fights. So let's let's talk about more fights. So, even though the UFC pay per view is not a good pay per view, it just so happens to have two very good title fights. So the first of the two title fights is the vacant light heavyweight title that John Jones decided to vacate because he's moving up to heavyweight. It will be between it'll be the first time actually in 10 years that it, the champion is not named John Jones or Daniel Cormier. Wow, that's dang, that's a great title reign by John Jones. It will be for the 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 vacant title fight will be between Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovich. It really is just... It's an interesting matchup because there have been times where I've counted out Blahovich, but I can never pick against Dominic Reyes. And I really think Dominic Reyes beat John Jones. And I was... And I said from the, from the start when he, that fight was announced, don't be surprised if Dominic Reyes is the new champ. So this is a hard fight for me to pick because circumstances. But matchup-wise, it should be a very interesting one because it's the tall, lengthy fighter who is a very good boxer for MMA and knows how to use his footwork very well, who is also a southpaw, fighting the more traditional built 205er, short, um, compact, who who is pretty good at striking himself, but his best work comes from the clinch against the cage and making it a rough, tough fight. Get it on the ground. for Pass, pass your guard. Get good, good top control. And just make it a, a smothering fight for the most part. That is Blahovich. He can make it a very tough, smothering fight for you. But Dominic Rey is being a taller fighter, bigger fighter. He he knows how to he knows how to maintain that distance and and land that left hand. So but because Dominic Reyes has also I don't know if he's hundred percent focused on Blahovich because he just came off of a really good fight against John Jones in which a lot of people think he beat John Jones. I think he beat John Jones. I thought he won the first three rounds against John Jones. 
And if it weren't for the fact that he made a couple mis- big mistakes in round four, he could have won, in my opinion, could have won that fight, in my eyes, four rounds to one, and could have won the fight three rounds to two. But coming off of that, the best fight of his, possible fight of his career against the best fighter possibly ever, and wanting, demanding that rematch, I don't, I don't know if he's 100% focused on fighting Blahovich. I wonder if he's looking, still looking for a way to get his rematch or already looking past Blahovich. If that's the case, he will lose. Because there are too many fighters that have looked past Blahovich and they get knocked out. And it doesn't matter if, if they're tall fighters who, can, who are better strikers either. Ask Luke Rockhold what happened when he looked past Blahovich and disrespected Blahovich. Got his jaw broken. Ask Corey Anderson, who was getting out, who was off that high of knocking out Johnny Walker, thinking that he's the guy to beat John Jones because he's a better boxer than John Jones. Ask Corey Anderson what happened. He got knocked out in the first round and is not in the UFC anymore. I mean, better off for him to not be in the UFC anymore, but that's what happens when you, when you look past Blahovich. But, I mean, I'll probably still pick Dominic Reyes because I like his skills a little more. I do like his boxing very... Especially how he controls the distance. It, he, it is pretty... It does remind you of a slick southpaw boxer. So, I'll probably still pick Dominic Reyes just because I'm still very high on his skill set. And I honestly think his skill set to me is would is the is best suited as a light heavyweight champion after a John Jones reign. I honestly, I still think, I think he is the best 205-er besides John Jones. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going Dominic Reyes on this one if if he's 100% focused on Jan Blahovich. With that one out of the way, time for the main event of the UFC pay-per-view. Between Israel Adesanya and Paulo Costa. <sighs> I love Israel Adesanya. I really do. He does remind me a lot of Anderson, Anderson Silva. Who just happens to be my favorite fighter. Ever. And I love Brazilian fighters too. And I usually root for the Brazilian fighters. But I'm not rooting for Paulo Costa. Like, but he does make me nervous for Adesanya. I mean, Adesanya is a great counterpuncher, a great striker, much a much better striker than than Paulo Costa. Very sophisticated striker. He was a great kickboxer before becoming a full time MMA fighter. So he does have way more tools than his. He has yes, he has way more tools than Paulo Costa. But Paulo Costa, man, he's just he's a big mean dude. He has a really good trainer as well. I I mean, excuse me for forgetting the name of his trainer, but that trainer knows how to make a champ champ. He's <laughs> his two pupils in MMA, man. They they become champ champs and their names Henry Cejudo and Patricio Pitbull, so 
He knows that, that guy knows how to make champions. And he does, even though Paulo Costa looks like a one-dimensional bully, and like seems like he has, he's a limited fighter, Paulo Costa is is really good in the sense that he can press forward, put you against the cage, and beat you up. But it's not just beating you up because he's just winging big-time bombs at you, even though it looks like it. He knows how to set it up with the jab, and when he has when he has you hurt, and even for a guy who looks like just a big guy who wings punches at you, he he throws some very good short hooks. So, but he knows how to mix it up as well, but throwing it to the body to set up that big power punch up top. So it's very calculated, even though it looks simple. He's very calculated in his striking. And he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but I, I don't know I don't know how good his jiu-jitsu is, and I don't know what kind what's his style of using his jiu-jitsu, so I don't I don't know if he if he's good off his back or if he's better at getting the takedown and transitioning to side control. I don't I don't know. But he's a black belt, so he knows how to he knows how to do some things on the ground. <laughs> now I don't. I don't think Costa gets Adesanya on the ground because, man, from the time that he dedicated to putting in that work for takedown defense, Adesanya is looking like Jose Aldo is prime with that takedown defense. Man, you cannot get him on the ground, and even if you do, scrambles right back up. That 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 team he's with over there in New Zealand, man, they make some really good fighters. My heart says Adesanya for this fight. Like I said, he's the better striker, has way more tools to use, a lot more sneaky, can set as sets up better punches, sets up better kicks, uses his elbows too. Honestly, that's that should probably be the shot to catch Costa when he's coming in hot. A nice short sneaky elbow. Just straight it straight to his nose. And see what happens after. But I don't know, Costa looks like a guy who can eat he can eat a lot of punches. Or you can need some some of your, your power strikes. Cause he's just bigger. It looks like he can looks like he can take a punch pretty well. But hesitantly and nervously, I'll still pick Adesanya. Yeah. So that's those are my predictions for these amazing fights that are gonna happen tonight. And you know what? Watch them all. I don't care how. Just watch them all. They're all gonna be fun, they're all gonna be exciting. They're all going to be good matchups, so... Oh, except the rest of the paper, the UFC pay-per-view. That's not really a good card anyways. But, yeah, that's my preview for the fights tonight. Like I said, guys, watch the fights. This is a fight fans Saturday type of, type of Saturday. I know I'm going to be watching them all. I'll go, we'll go over the results next week, so... That is, that is another episode of For All the Belts. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Jacob Ibarra, saying thank you and till the next episode.